morning, everybody. Boy, I'm in a funny old mood this morning. If you've been here uh, earlier, you would have discovered that. I only realised I've got a different suit on than I actually thought I had on. I thought, gee, these pants are getting tight. Sharon says, no, you've got the other suit on, not that suit. It's one of those mornings, Steph, it's going to be one of those mornings. You better hang on to somebody and say, it's going to be one of those mornings. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you here this morning. Thanks for being part of the service today. We are into the last Sunday of June. We are one third of the way through winter. So... uh, Good news, next week is July and at the start of every month we always have our nice hot sausage sizzle. So we'll be able to get some uh, warm food into us if you call sausages food. If if that's part of your staple diet, then you'll enjoy a sausage next Sunday. Why don't we pray for the word this morning and we'll get into it. Oh, look look up the back. Look at the clock. I've got an hour. Oh, I told you I'm in a funny mood. I don't know what it is. I didn't eat anything different this morning. I didn't, Ruth, I didn't, Ruth, I didn't do anything different to what I normally do. I just got up and I came down and here we go. All right. I'm probably in a good mood because this is uh, around about uh, three more weeks and uh, poof, I'm disappearing. Some of you will be really glad about that, others of you will be sad, others of you won't really care one way or another. (laughs) But we care, don't we, Sharon? We do. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for being present by your spirit as you ministered in the worship this morning. Thank you, Lord God, that you've drawn us close to you and you've prepared our hearts to receive the word that you have for us today. And God, I pray that you would give each one of us what we need to be the church that you want us to be in this 21st century, in this town of Bendigo. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen. All right. Well, this is week five of our seven-week series, Revelation, a letter to the seven churches. We've been looking at seven helps for a healthy church. And today we come to the church at Sardis. And what Jesus has to say in a message I've entitled to the comatose congregation. We're looking at Revelation 3, 1 to 6. If you're uh, comatose, that means you are unresponsive, you are unconscious. I actually heard about a uh, church that was so dead that one of uh, the people actually passed away during the service. When the paramedics arrived, they actually took out four other people before they got to the right one. You heard about the uh, little boy who was standing in the foyer and he was looking at these plaques with all these names written on them. He was a little bit confused and the pastor came up to him and said, Son, are you, are you all right? And he said, Well, what are all these names, Pastor? The pastor said, well, they're all people who have died in the service. The little boy's eyes went wide, his mouth dropped, and he said, well, what service was it, the 9 o'clock or the 11? <laughs> there was a new pastor who came to town, and uh, on the first Sunday as he got to the pulpit to preach, there was no one in the church. 
So he went around that week and he visited all the members of the church and encouraged them, you know, new pastor, new star, come along and hear me preach my first message. The next Sunday, no one was in the church. So he decided to write a letter to every member of the church saying that the church was dead. And the only Christian thing to do was to give it a good funeral. Well, everyone was a little bit intrigued, thinking, well, what does that mean? So the next Sunday, the church was packed, filled with people. There was a coffin down the front, and the pastor got up, and he gave the eulogy of the church. And then he lifted up the coffin lid, and he invited everybody to come down, pay their last respects, and to see what was the cause of death. As they all lined up, they came and as they, whoa, they looked in and got a little fright and went back to their seats rather sheepishly. Do you know what was in the bottom of the coffin? A mirror! We are the church, the people make up the church, and it's up to us to make sure that we are a vibrant and passionate congregation together. So this morning we're going to have a quick look at our drive-through history, then I'll come back and preach the word. Located on a major highway connecting the Aegean coast to the east, Sardis was a stronghold city in ancient times. The citadel of Sardis was known for its military strength and described by some ancient historians as being, quote, the strongest place on earth. Now, Sardis became the capital of the Lydian Empire in the 7th century BC. The wealth of the city came from the fertile farmland outside the city, the Pactolus River, which contained gold dust, and more specifically, an alloy called electrum. Now, the Lydian Empire is said to have invented coinage, and the Lydian stator is famous for having been the earliest type of coin ever minted. During the Roman period, one of the things Sardis was known for was this incredible gymnasium and bath complex. Yeah, I was, I was here about 15 or so years ago when I rocked the push-ups. I wonder if anybody here remembers me. 71, 72, feel the burn. Hey, 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 uh, keep that camera up here, please. Thanks. 73, 74, 75. Yeah, it's probably better that they didn't. During the first century, Sardis also had a theater that fit about 20,000 people, a stadium for about 12,000, an aqueduct, and temples to Roman emperors such as Augustus and Tiberius. However, as impressive as this ancient city was, John had some stern warnings for the Christians who lived here. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Revelation 3, 1 through 3. In this letter, the Christians have a reputation for being alive yet dead and were then commanded to wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Now, some scholars have suggested that this language pointed to the destructive earthquake of 17 AD, which totally destroyed the city. 
Sardis's name and reputation survived, but the city was destroyed. Furthermore, the earthquake happened in the middle of the night when the people were asleep and the residents apparently had not paid attention to the tremors leading up to this massive earthquake. All right, well, that's the background. Let's get into God's word this morning. Jesus says to us in verse 1, thanks, Carly. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits means the the perfect God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the seven stars, of course, are the the seven uh, leaders within the life of the church. So Jesus identifies himself differently in each one of these uh, letters, doesn't he? If you go back to chapter 1 and you read this description of who Jesus is, it unpacks in each one of the seven letters. He actually describes himself differently for what each church needs. And this church, this church needed the revival of the Holy Spirit. This church needed the Holy Spirit to fan into flames a breath of new life into this comatose church, to stimulate the sluggish attendance to action. If we uh, have a look at the map again just quickly, remember we're moving around in this circular motion and we know that Sardis is around about 80 kilometres from Thyatira. It was actually once the richest and most powerful city in the known world. And that's why everything came easy to the people in this city. And so what it meant was that the, the people had become complacent. Life is easy. And so the church was a reflection of the city upon which it lived. You can see that hill there. That's where they had a a lot of their uh, uh, fortress uh, having been built. It's around about 500 metres overlooking what's known there as the Hermes Valley. Yeah, they were so fortified there that they didn't believe that anyone could penetrate them. And yet twice in their history, in 549 BC, under the Persians, and again 300 years later, under the Greeks, they simply scaled that mountain. When they arrived, they discovered that the gateway was open, that they hadn't even put a guard in place. They had all gone to bed so confident that no one would be able to ever defeat them. What do they say? If you don't learn from the past, you are apt to repeat the mistakes again. You see, the devil will allow any church to exist for 2,000 or 200 years if that's all it does is exist. So firstly this morning, to revive a comatose church, we need to wake up to the reputation of the church. Verse 1, Jesus says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So the life of the church is always revealed in its deeds, in what it does. But reputation does not necessarily mean reality. You see, uh, the members of this church were what we would call nominal Christians. Nominal is where we get the word in name. In name only, not in nature. They were not born again, therefore they were not spiritually alive. It's important you realise that these are second generation Christians that we're talking about here. Maybe their parents and other people had forged the church forward. And now 
the second generation were resting on the laurels of the past. They were maybe just brought up in the church. Someone wrote this poem. Outwardly splendid as of old, inwardly lifeless, dead and cold. Her force and fire all spent and gone, but like the dead moon, she still shines on. You know, they uh, tell me the North Star is about 30 light years away. Light year, of course, is a measurement of speed. Uh, Light travels at approximately 300,000 kilometres per second. And so it can travel in a year around about 10 uh, trillion kilometres. So that means if the North Star was to die today, it would take 30 years before we even realised it was dead. And the same can be true of some churches, you know. There are many churches out there where God has written over it, Ichabod. Ichabod is a Hebrew word, and it means the glory of God has departed. But the people within the church just haven't realised it yet. Someone said this, organisations usually go through three stages. They begin as risk takers, then they grow to be caretakers, then they usually end up as undertakers. And that describes a lot of churches today, doesn't it? They're an organisation, not a living, breathing organism breathed by the spirit of life. They're great at organising, usually organising funerals is a great thing of what they normally do. Four stages of a church. Four stages. The first one is movement. You know, uh, if you've ever been involved in a new church or a church plant, the church is on the move. We are pressing in. Things are happening, yeah? And then from the next one, there is this uh, magnificent, yeah? We magnify the glory of God in all that we're doing. We're pressing forward. The church is growing and expanding and things are happening and everything's wonderful. So let's not go on from here. And we become the monument church. Let's just uh, maintain everything we've got. And then what happens eventually is we end up into being the mausoleum church, the dead church. I'm sure many of you can give testimony to the church that used to be. You know, uh, I came here from Port Ferry. When we uh, came to Port Ferry, there were about 15 people in this little congregation. And we, we gathered momentum and we broke out and we started holding uh, uh, services up in the large hall in, in the, uh, the school. Uh, we started to grow and develop and we started to risk it all for the glory of God. And we started to grow, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40, 60 people. Over the summer, we might have 90, 100 people within the life of the congregation. We were the only church that had children's ministry. We were involved in CRE. We were pressing forward and moving and everything was growing and everything was great. And then suddenly we went, (gasps) that's it. The people said, we don't want to go on anymore. We want to go back to our little church. And God said, Ichabod. At that very point, I noticed in my spirit that I had turned cold, turned away, and the glory of God had departed. We came here to Bendigo. And you know what the church is today in Port Ferry? It's not a mausoleum, it's a B&B. There is no Church of Christ in Port Ferry today simply because we went through those stages. So all churches 
like Sardis. This Sardis church, it, it didn't have any spiritual fervor. It didn't have any passion. It lost its dedication and its commitment to Christ. And it was defined as a dead church. How do you define a dead church? That's pretty subjective sort of stuff, isn't it? You know? If you would have gone to the members of the church at Sardis, they would have said, well, yeah, no, we've got a, we've got a great church. No, 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 we haven't brought anyone to faith and we haven't added any new members and we, uh, we haven't had any uh, baptisms, you know. Uh, but, but, but we got a great church. There was no spirit of love and no generosity and no, no openness of heart, but everything's wonderful. There are churches today who think life is great if they can run a service on a Sunday morning. But from Jesus' perspective, they were dead. Here's a problem, and I think it's still a problem today. I think what we've done is as we've moved away from being the organism that is Jesus Christ and the heartbeat in the community, we've actually moved into this organisation. And so we've actually deceived ourselves into thinking that activity is a sign of life and we've forgotten about the anointing of God upon that activity. W.A. Creswell, he wrote how you can tell the difference between a living and a lifeless church. He says, live churches are filled with folks with Bibles in their hands. Dead churches are not. Live churches have noisy children and youth. This is the time now, kids, to yell out. <laughs> Dead churches do not. Live churches move by faith. Dead churches do not. Live churches have parking problems. Dead churches do not. Live churches emphasize opportunities, but dead churches focus on problems. Live churches are characterized by a loving fellowship. Dead churches manifest a bickering spirit. Live churches major on strong preaching. Dead churches emphasize liturgy. Live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. So Jesus is saying there's a very big difference between reputation and reality. Of course, I moved now, moving from Port Ferry to Bendigo 19 years ago. 19 years ago, when I first came to this church, I would tell people, I didn't tell them I was the pastor of the church, I'd tell people it was called Short Street Church of Christ. Oh, I would never go there. The reputation and the reality of this church was not good within the Christian community or maybe even the community at large. This church had been through a lot of divisions, a lot of splits. There was a lot of hurt and painful uh, things that had gone on uh, in people. You know, when I'd finished preaching, when I first got here, within five minutes, the whole place would be empty. Now, some days I wish we could get back to that. Be careful what you pray for. But, you know, God just told Sharon and I, love the people back to life. And these people were hurting and they were wounded and we rebuilt under the Spirit of God the reputation of the church. And I thank God for the faithful remnant. You see, it's because of you. Whether you've been here just this year or whether you've been here for the 19 years, thank you, 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 thank you. Because together, we've stuck in there. We've hung through a lot of stuff that goes on. Church is not easy. It's made up of people. You know, and that becomes difficult. But, but we've now... 
when we think about the reputation and the reality, when we get people who have been here just this year or in the last couple of years, and you say to them, why are you here? Generally, it's because of our commitment to Christ. Generally, it's because we've got an open heart and a loving spirit and a welcome fellowship. Generally, it's because people know that the Word of God is preached here and that they get shepherded and cared for and loved in, in the way that they... And this is a space where people can bring their families up and continue to grow as we have youth and children's and young adults ministry. And as we care for our elderly, uh, we've closed the gap between the reality and the reputation but it is made up of people. Reputation is what everybody thinks you are. Character is who you really are. So Jesus writes to the church and he says, I want you to see the gap between the reality and the reputation. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge for us as a church, but it's also a challenge because we're made up of individual people. We've got to be strong enough and willing enough to think about the reputation that I have and the reality of who I am, and invite Christ in to close the gap. Next, to stay in a live church, we need to wake up to the requirements of Christ. He has some requirements for us if we're going to stay in a live church. Three things if you're taking notes. Rouse from your sleep, remember your salvation, and repent of your sins. So he continues there in verse 2 and he says, Wake up! It's in the staccato command, yeah? It's this idea of getting a slap across the face. Nobody told God he couldn't hit his kids. It's designed to stimulate you. It's designed to have you wake up from your condition. These believers, they should have heard the alarm bell going off, shouldn't they? Because history was about to repeat itself. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. So they still had, they still had a pulse. There was still a pulse there. There was still some sign of spiritual life. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold fast to it and repent. So repent of your inactivity. It was invite the Holy Spirit back to church week. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In other words, we're to walk in the daylight, not in the darkness. You know, we just had the winter solstice, didn't we? <gasps> Shortest day, longest night, freezing cold. How many of you jumped out of bed on Thursday morning? <gasps> it's hard to get up when it's dark, isn't it? Yeah? When I was up in Queensland last year, you know, sun would come streaming in through the window. I'd flash open the curtains. It was a B-E-A beautiful day. Only problem was up there, it's only 4.30 in the morning. Isn't it? You've got to get up early. Well, the whole idea is when the sun signs on you, we should be attentive to what's going on around us. To have Christ shining on you, it simply means to maintain a pure lifestyle. Light causes us to wake up. If you're asleep, you're unaware, you're unconscious, aren't you? Yeah. So sleeping through your faith, he's saying, is over. We need to wake up uh, to what we uh, see going on around us so we can live a life that's pleasing to God. Too many Christians are sleepwalking their way through their faith, aren't they? Only have this appearance of being awake. So Jesus says, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. Thieves like to come when you are 
totally oblivious to their presence. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Motto of the scouts. But it's more than that. It's be prepared, exclamation point. That's a really important exclamation point. And it's the great motto that we should have in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Be prepared. So we need to live in the light of the Lord's return. Folks, I think any church that doesn't live with that expectation that Christ could return any moment already has one nail in the coffin. But like a thief, thieves don't announce when they're coming, do they? But only afterwards will you read about the robbery in the paper. There's no prior announcement. And likewise, this thief in the night, a good thief never announces that they are coming. Is there such a thing as a good thief? That's maybe an oxymoron, isn't it, really? The MO is that they will slip in and slip out without being detected. We know when we think about Jesus in that format, he's talking about rapturing the church here. It's going to happen sudden and secretively like a thief in the night. But many a Sardis church today, they're still going to show up next Sunday for church. They don't know what's happening. So a thief comes to take the treasure. And the treasure that Christ comes for is you. You are his treasure. You are his church. You are what he values most in this world. We can change it to a different metaphor, can't we, in terms of we know that the church is the bride. We know that Jesus is the groom. And we know from Jewish culture that the bride never knew, ladies. The bride never... Imagine being back in Jewish culture like this. The bride never knew when the groom was going to return to take her away. So she always had to stay in this perpetual state of readiness. And that's what Jesus says to us as the church. In Matthew 24, 44, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So it's about living this obedient, anticipated life. So are you ready? Remember as a kid growing up, you'd play hide and seek? Someone had to count down, maybe from 100. Ready or not, here I come. Well, I want to say to you, Jesus is in heaven and he is counting down. And no one knows when he's going to get to that number and come again. But are you ready? So Jesus says, here's how you close the gap between who you are and who Jesus wants you to be. You need to wake up. You need to come to your senses. If you're in a spiritual slumber this morning, hear the slap. You're complacent. You're comatose. You need to strengthen what remains. So given their history, this city, they were taken captive because they were all asleep. And so Jesus uses that spiritual metaphor to say, hey, listen, you need to wake up spiritually. You need to understand here. You need to guard your life because Christ, if you're not awake, you're vulnerable to attack. The city and the church is a perfect example, I think, of being overconfident. It's really easy when things are good and strong that you think they will always be that way. When uh, Sharon and I got married, we went to uh, Norlunga Centre Church of Christ in Adelaide. Big church, big church for us, 350 strong. You name it, it had it. 
whatever ministry you could think of, it was running it. Today, 33 years on, about 50 elderly people, when I say elderly, about my age and over. Just, what happened? What, what, what happened? How does that happen? See, last week we talked about the importance of exercising our faith. Yeah? If you don't exercise your faith, you become weak in your faith. You become complacent. You become a flabby Christian in your faith. It's pretty easy sometimes to have that happen, isn't it? You know, uh, We go from being this fit church to being this flabby church because we've all sat back on our laurels. So Jesus says, wake up to what's going on. Strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Whenever we lose ground and things seem like we no longer have, the very first thing we want to do is try and resurrect the past. Oh, if we could only get back to the way it was. Oh, if we could only do this again. And yet the reality is that if something has died, you ain't bringing it back. The reality is that you need to fan into flames whatever that little spark is within you. You need to find that little bit of life that's still in you. And you breathe and blow the Holy Spirit upon it and see it start to grow back to life. Because the reality is, it's a lot easier to give birth to something that's alive within you than it is to raise the dead. So we need to pray. Lord, help us to close the gap between our reputation and reality by revitalizing our relationship in the power of the Holy Spirit with the Lord. And then finally, to stay in a live church, we need to wake up to the remnant of Christians. There's a doctrine, a teaching of Scripture that talks about the faithful remnant. God has always had a faithful remnant of people all throughout history. You know, we go back to uh, somewhere like uh, Judges 6 and we see Gideon. And Gideon was called to lead an army uh, before uh, the Lord. And uh, so he called the army and he got 32,000 people to respond. Think of it like the megachurch. God said, there's too many people. Half of them aren't going to do anything anyway. I want you to cut the number down by simply saying to them, hey, listen, if you're afraid, just go home. 22,000 that day went home. Gideon's got 10,000. He's thinking, oh, all right, okay, here we go. God says, no, 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 there are still too many people. What I want you to do is I want you to take them down to the river. And those who bend down like a dog and lap up the water, they can go. But the ones who cup their hands and look around attentively for the enemy, they're the ones we want. Do you know how many he had left? 300. 300 faithful followers who were fit for the work. Instead, those 300 were able to do far more than the flabby, fat, unfaithful God only needs a, a faithful few in order to do incredible things. So how do you tell if you're part of the faithful remnant? That should be a question you're asking yourself right now. He tells us right here. He says, you'll be walking daily in purity with Jesus. You'll be wearing his robe of righteousness. And you will one day win the recognition of Jesus in heaven. Verse 4. 
Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, meaning they've kept themselves pure from outside influences. The word clothes here is symbolic of this spiritual conduct, this, this moral lifestyle. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. It means that these are the ones who are whole, hungry for holiness. You know, when a surgeon uh, goes into uh, excuse me, perform an operation. They want to make sure that they are sterile, don't they? Yeah? They wash their hands, they put on sterile gloves, they wear a sterile mask, a, a gown, they make sure all the instruments are sterile. But why? Because they don't want to pick up an infection, do they? And they don't want to give an infection to the patient. Bacteria is a terrible thing, isn't it, John? I did that for John. The Bible says it's important for us to have the same sort of hatred for sin in the world. We're to walk in purity before our God. You see, the way we stay sterile in the fellowship is to walk in that purity. We understand this whole idea of walking, don't we? When we walk, we have this idea of purpose, of, of going somewhere, a sense of heading in the right direction, of living a lifestyle that demonstrates you're a Christian. Let me explain it to you this way. Go back to 1819. A young girl was born to a family. They called her Victoria. She would go on to be the queen. Her father was Edward, the Duke of Kent. But they were worried that at an early age, if she knew who she was going to be, that that might spoil her. You can imagine her being a little brat, can't you? Yeah, four. You know, someone takes her toy... Off with your head! It's a lot of power for a little kid. So they kept that from her. And she discovered naturally at the age of 13, when she was at school, they were studying history and family trees. And she discovered who she was. At 13, she made this amazing statement that applies to us today. She said, because of who I am, I am determined that I will be good. And because of who you are, you are a child of the king. You are born into his family because you are born again of the Spirit. So then, secondly, we identify the faithful remnant by wearing these white robes. It's called the robe of righteousness, isn't it? Yeah. There are two kinds of righteousness in the Bible. Of course, there is a, a positional righteousness and a practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is simply we are righteous because we are clothed in Christ. We wear the royal robe. We are not made righteous. If you were made righteous, then you would never sin again. But every time you do something wrong, you take the royal robe off and you decide to do what you're going to do. How do you get the robe back on? You simply repent. What he keeps asking us to do, isn't it? Repent, receive forgiveness, and be robed in that righteousness again. So the whole idea of this practical righteousness is simply, I am going to continue to do what is right. That's how you know you're part of the faithful remnant. And then thirdly and finally from verse 5, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. It's interesting. 
interesting, isn't it, about this whole blotting names out. You know, uh, oh, Andrew, can my name be blotted out? And, of course, I always say to people, the word you're missing there is never. Never. It's in the strongest Greek negative. It means I will never, ever, 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 under no circumstances will I ever, ever, ever blot your name out. If you have received my son as your Lord and Saviour, I will never blot you out. That's wonderful assurance, isn't it, right there? You know, I know when uh, people get a little older, a little bit closer to eternity, the devil has a field day and they start to wonder, am I... Am I really saved? It's a question. You know, even uh, when I do a funeral, someone will say, do you think they were really saved? This is the assurance that God will never, if you have accepted what his son Jesus Christ has done for you, he will never blot you out. Now, why does he say that? Because in Sardis, as as in all of this uh, area here through Turkey, the Romans, they would erase your name. You would be considered a criminal and they would erase your name if you did not bow down and receive Caesar as Lord. Yeah, we've looked at that, haven't we? And so they were considered convicts and they would have their citizenship expunged. So Jesus here is assuring the faithful in Sardis and the faithful here today that your name will never, ever be erased from the book of life. Your citizenship is secure in heaven. And I want to impress that upon your hearts today. So remember, these are second generation Christians. They're complacent. They're nominal in name only. They've never been born again. They've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. People who profess Jesus in name but not in nature. And that's why we know there's two books in heaven, isn't there? Yeah? There's two books there. But nowhere in the Bible does it actually picture using the proverb, the doing word. Nowhere will you ever find it actually describing God writing your name in. Now you think about that for a moment. Because lots of times we think, oh, well, you know, you've come to faith, Felice, and God's written your name in. Nowhere does the Bible actually say that. The Bible does say in different places that before the foundation of the world, your name was in there. The Bible also says that God in his great love wants none to perish but everybody to come to repentance. Now, he's outside of time and space. He knows whose name's ultimately going to be in these two books. But he's also given you free will to make that choice for yourself. He wants none to perish but everybody to come to repentance. So we know that in the end there's these two books. And it's only if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. I've mentioned to you before, I just have that vision of God, tear coming from his eye, and he just blots out that name. Because as they exhale for the last time, that time to be able to accept Jesus is gone. And they will find their name found in that other book who will have to appear before the great white throne to be thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. So we've all got a date with destiny. The important question you've got to ask yourself is, is my name going to be written in that book at the very end? I guarantee you it's in there today. 
How can you guarantee it will be there in the end? You all know your ABCs, don't you? Yeah? We've got to know the ABC of salvation. We've got to be telling friends and family. We've got to acknowledge, yeah, that I am a sinner in need of salvation and that salvation is only found through faith in Jesus Christ. I've got to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins so that it could all be forgiven, so I could be robed in that righteousness. And I need to confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. And when I do that, he will never blot my name out. Jesus says, this is how you end life victorious. That word victorious, it's the word Nike, isn't it? Yeah. It's the, uh, the goddess of victory. Jesus says, not you might, not you could, but you will stand in assurance on the victor's podium at the very end of your life if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. That whole idea of being dressed in white, it's a picture of victory in life. If I'm faithful to the finish, I will be victorious. My name will remain in the book of life. I'll be robed in the righteousness of Christ. And then he has one little last verse. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit of God says to the church today. Why don't you stand with me as we pray. Worship team, if you'd like to come back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We thank you, God, that you never give up on your church. We thank you, Jesus, you came and died for us. We thank you, Lord God, today for the faithful, for the remnants, for those who have continued to walk faithfully forward with you. We thank you for this church, Lord God. Used to be known into the community as Short Street. But now today, Bendigo, because just as you change names, as we change nature... We thank you, Lord God, for the testimony we have as Bendigo Church of Christ today in your community. We thank you, Lord God, that we are alive in the spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you're continuing to do. We thank you, Lord, that it's a place where people come and feel the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus in their hearts. And God, we thank you that you accept sinners of whom I am the worst. And you help us to... Do life together, knowing that none of us is perfect, but continuing to work out our salvation before you. And we thank you, Lord God, today for the affirmation that those who have accepted Jesus Christ, their names will be written forever in the book of life. We have nothing to fear in this life nor in death, because we are alive thank in Christ. Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everyone says... Amen. Amen.